When we're born, we have no connections between our neurons. We have billions of neurons and no circuits. And those circuits are all built from early experience. By the time you're through with puberty, your years of peak neuroplasticity are over. So you could say that every one of us, that it's always high school in your brain. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. It's us. Welcome back. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot out. It's that season. I know. And I'm like I don't like sweating. sleeping in the hot. Oh, you don't know. I feel like I could never look good when it's this hot. Actually, yeah, I remember that, especially on the East Coast, because it was like wet and hot. Yeah. So I was like, fuck my hair every day. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. like when we were in Chicago, it was pretty hot. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is when you can't wear makeup. I feel like when when your crotch is sweaty, you never feel pretty. A (laughs) hundred percent. Dude, so true. (laughs) When I'm like, there's something's wrong. And my blanket hair is sticking in my back. It's like one of my biggest pet peeves is when sweaty, hair. ew, when hair touches your back. Ew, yeah. <laughs> In workouts, when my ponytail touches oh, my yeah. sweaty back, you need a high bun. Barf. Yeah, dude. So I have all those broken hairs because my buns are so tight. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them tight. Any fitness tips? Anything fitness wise you're obsessed with lately? Oh. Uh, fitness wise, I. Food or diet? Yeah, it's a good one. A pre. Dude. Not even to be... They're one of our sponsors, a, but a prey. A, a prey. Damn it. <laughs> Not even to be like that, but dude, this fucking bomb. It, well, the thing about it is, is that one, trust all the ingredients. Thank yeah. God. Don't even have to stress. It is perfect for before or after a workout. It's for after the workout, but I if I get up an hour before a workout, I drink half of it just to like... Have get something. something in my mm-hmm. belly. It is so good. It's a crime. So they have the mint cacao mm-hmm. and then the dark salted chocolate sea salt. caramel. Yeah. Or just uh, dark chocolate, I think, sea salt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. They should delicious. do vanilla soon. They're coming out with a couple oh, of flavors and they won't. They, she didn't tell me what they were. But, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Anything else? I mean, I've been getting a little bit a bit more back into the hit, but smarter. Mm, like, like timing? Timing-wise. Yeah. yeah. Like really, because like the Alyssa Vitti thing, we're working out like for your cycle, eating mm-hmm. for your cycle. It's all well and good and it works. Um, but I'm not always very good at doing it just because I forget and my period's kind of like still coming back. Yeah. 
um, after birth control. So I've been really trying to stick to that schedule and knowing when I have the most energy and using it. Mm. And then when I'm not, I'm fucking like on my back mm. on the floor chilling at berries. I'll do berries. I did a kissing the other day yeah. at burn 60. Kissim, like I'll do, up? or I'll just do it on my own, like at the stairs or something like that. You know, I can't, I don't have the energy to make myself do a hit. It's hard. People are like, do it at your house. I'm like, well, I definitely I don't chill at my house. I definitely don't do as any hard. workout. Up. I can't do any workout in my house. I don't want my neighbors to hear me jumping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want like civilians to hear me jumping. <laughs> you don't have below neighbors though. I know I got a new neighbor up and he's the shit. Oh, cool. I was literally butt ass naked last night at my apartment doing my new face. It's like a microcurrent device. Oh, yeah, yeah on my armpits, trying to get rid of my armpit fat. I swear to God, the Holy Bible. Wait, and he like knocks fuck. on my door. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, what does Justin say when you're like, he wasn't doing- home. So oh. I was like free. He was with his <laughs> friends. So I was like free. I'm like, oh, I'm butt ass naked. I'm going to do my microcurrent device on like my armpits to like get rid of my armpit fat. And neighbor came. What'd he say? Hey he neighbor. Like, He's sweet. Oh. He was like, Hey, is it okay if I have some friends over? Oh, so cute. I'm like, you must think I'm a huge fucking loser. Wow, that's amazing. It was so sweet. I was like, sure. Well, now he's set the bar. So anytime anything happens, like you're going to be pissed if he doesn't. I know. He was so sweet. I was so happy. That's so cute. Yeah. So cute. Anything with you besides the microcurrent and armpits? Yeah, the microcurrent device actually is the bomb. It's made by New Face and New Face. It's not sponsored at all, but it actually literally works. So if you're looking for a way to get rid of your double chin without doing injectables or Kybella or something, the microcurrent device is like $325 and it works. Mm. It's fucking crazy. Wow. And it just like tightens and lifts your face. Like my face looks more sculpted. Like my cheekbones look higher. You can see more definition. My cheeks are always like really chubs. So it just like helps like define my face. Mm. I've been I've been seeing like everyone doing like lymphatic facial massages. Oh yeah, should I be doing that? Because Kim know. K does that. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, what I, I was like know. one of those things. Like, yeah, like, can I do it myself? Yeah, I know. Why well, don't want to touch my face like that? I I know, but you know, but if I can do it myself and not pay someone weekly to do, yeah, it. like what do I do? Like, uh, yeah, I guess just just make sure. You're, oh, that's why I like to do the body by Simone trampoline class. Mm. Such a good one. For the lymphatic. Oh, I, ha- I, I have a trampoline. Oh, you did? So did you fun. like it? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's hard. It's so hard and everyone knows the combos. And I, I know, same. Like, Chloe's like in the front row. Oh my gosh. I would die to see Chloe do Body by Simone. It's amazing. Because like for her to be so in it and like doing the dance move, like it's, that would give me so much life. With her little chickpea head. Oh my God. <laughs> Freaking love her. So fun. Love her. What's today, guys? What's happening today? Oh, well, this is actually good because I just forgot and we're training our brains today. <laughs> what? <laughs> With Loretta. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you meant like, what is today? I was like thinking, I'm like, uh, what's happening on our calendar? Like, Yeah, my I, birthday. No. Literally, I thought it was like an event or something. Yeah, so Loretta, I actually heard on the James Altucher podcast, um, which I like, and I thought it was really interesting. So I know that we talk a lot about on the podcast about being happy tools, tricks, insights, whatever, to essentially make you feel more aligned, more happy, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought it would be good to understand the chemicals within your brain that are responsible for happiness and how you can manipulate those to live a better life. 
Yeah. So Loretta is the author of Habits of a Happy Brain, The Science of Positivity uh, and iMammal. And she started the innermammalinstitute.org. Lots of great resources on that website. Yeah. And I liked it too, because um, thinking about habits, so the chemicals in your brain are responsible for creating those habits because it's a pleasure reward system, essentially. So if you think about it, you know, maybe you're addicted to food or shopping or feeling depressed, you know, there's a lot of different types of addictions. Understanding how to rewire your brain with manipulation of these chemicals is something that's really interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought, that part was really good. So I really love um, this interview for that. Yeah, we know you guys are going to love it. So let us know. Join the secret Facebook group. Let's have a conversation. Because um, I feel like we all have things that we could probably afford to rewire yeah. and take the time. Yeah. For me, it's about like making time and remember, like mm-hmm. making the habit a habit every day to rewire. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not consistent about yeah. it. So I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like, if you think about it, it's like, if you want to get fucking serious mm-hmm. about fixing a habit, it's getting down to like drilling down to the science of what your brain is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think about that too. Um, okay, let's do this. Loretta Bruni. Woo! Take it away. Take it away. Enjoy. I came across you actually listening to James Altucher. And I loved, not only do I love what you do and what you write about, but I loved your energy. I was like, oh, she is like so fun Mm -hmm. and just great energy. So we're so glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much. I have to tell you that my son is 29 and a half. Um, he doesn't listen to me, of course. <laughs> but is this uh, of interest to males also? Oh, yeah. Your show? Yeah, totally. Good, good. Okay. Totally. Cool. We had a guy on this week, so. Yeah, it would um, be a good one to listen to. Yeah, we have males and females on, so he could definitely listen. Um, and he might relate, you know, to some of the transitions of going through your 20s. So I think I think he'll be a great fit. But our listeners are super interested in kind of like these habits that we've created and and whether it's kind of relearning or um, understanding them better so that they can in the moment control what's going on. Because I know that you're all about kind of understanding the mammal brain so that you can in those moments really track each thought and hopefully understand it better so it's not that much of a freak out in the moment. And I think like our age group, as we are transitioning from our twenties to our thirties, we have some freak outs. So could you explain that more like the why the science behind what's happening in our brains um, and why it relates to kind of the evolution of our brain from thousands and thousands of years ago? Sure. Well, within this infinite topic, (laughs) let me just say two things. So first, When we're born, we have no connections between our neurons. We have billions of neurons and no circuits. And those circuits are all built from early experience. By the time you're through with puberty, your years of of peak neuroplasticity are over. So you could say that every one of us, that it's always high school in your brain. You know what I mean? Mm. (laughs) So... It's not fun. You don't... (laughs) 
don't consciously intend to think that way, but my books explains a long story why that would benefit natural selection to build those neural superhighways. And then we use those neural superhighways because they're there. So we're not consciously intending to do that, but you just use a road in your brain when it's there because it's so hard to blaze a new trail in your brain. Mm. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is that in the state of nature, animals are in a hurry to pass on their genes before they die. They could get eaten at any moment. And so what keeps a species alive is that you pass on your genes before you die. And so even though you are not consciously thinking about, oh, I got to hurry up and pass on my genes before I get eaten, (laughs) (laughs) that that creates the sense of urgency. And Mm. why is it hard to create a neural pathway after puberty? Is it is it because you know we don't have the inclination to kind of go outside of our comfort zone and do something different or is it like physically more difficult to create that neural pathway well they're both true so let's start with why it's physically more diff- difficult so the electricity in your brain flows like water in a storm it just flows into the pathways that are there. So the reason your early pathways got to be big is because of a substance called myelin. And myelin is fat and it wraps your neural pathways the way plastic wraps wire and that makes the wire more efficient. So anything you do with your old myelinated neural pathways, it's so easy that you don't even have to think about it. So speaking your native language, you know, doing your multiplication, if you learned it when you were young, if you learned a sport when you were young. And so anything you try to do without myelinated neural pathways, that's suddenly so hard that it almost feels false or threatening. Now, if you keep doing it, the pathway will build. It'll never build as much as the ones you built when you were young, but at least enough to sort of flow. And when I say when you were young, the amazing thing is it means before age eight and during puberty. Those are the myelin years. Hmm. Before age eight. So so does it stop from eight? until puberty or it's before age eight, so eight and under, and right, then exactly. and then before puberty? No, um, during, during puberty. puberty. So okay. between, between eight and puberty, your myelin dips. And the fascinating mm. thing about that, um, the example I always use is that if you lie to a six-year-old, the six-year-old will just take that as a fact and their brain will take it in yeah. and store it. Whereas if you lie to an eight-year-old, the eight-year-old will say, hmm, let me compare that to my prior knowledge. Mm. So because the eight-year-old has less myelin, instead of just wiring in everything it hears, it only builds what I call, it builds new leaves on the old branches. And that's why like maybe the eight-year-old learns new vocabulary in a language it already knows, but is not as easily learning a new language, for example. Mm. Hmm. And when we talk about the brain development, you know, when we talk about a time when there is more myelin, is, is that how, how do you say it? Myelin. Yeah. Myelin. Okay, cool. Is that when your brain is developing basically everything about you? You know, like your personality, vocabulary. So that's basically your entire personality is kind of being, the foundation is being laid during that time. 
Yes. And I know there'll be people who will be upset and tell me it's genetic. And you know what? Everybody has a right to their opinion. And there's a lot of grant funding for genetics right now, which I think influences people's opinions. (laughs) But this is the way I look at it. Talk to everyone you know and read every biography you can find. And you will see that people's early experiences had a huge impact on who they became both positive and negative experiences. So if you really explore, you say, oh my God, what I'm doing is like an exact mirror of this thing that happened when I was young. What if you can't remember your childhood? Yeah, that's a good point. Because I can't. Um, uh, is that weird? Yes, I totally agree. It's so it's, let's think of it rather than a memory of an incident, mm-hmm. think of it as the emotional residue. Mm-hmm. Like I was... And like a common one would be like people were always looking for someone to support them. Like, you know, they might call it wanting connection. You Mm -hmm. know, there's all kinds of current cliches for it. But on the one hand, people are looking for bonding, support, approval. But on the other hand, people are looking for separation. Like, leave me alone. I want to do my own thing. I want to explore. So we all have an early sort of circuit in each of these areas. And then those with use, with more use, those circuits, it gets easier exactly. for, for the information to travel. And I know, I think I, I know a little bit about this because um, my grandma had Alzheimer's very badly. So when I understood what Alzheimer's was, it kind of helps me to understand like how we create memories and neural pathways with that. Because, you know, I'll never forget that it's like the less familiar memories that didn't have the pathways that were deeply created were lost first, you know, and then over time, the more deeply created neural pathways and memories that were used over and over again for most of her life were lost very last in her life because those were easier to access. Very good. Very good. And you know what else? This answers another question. You were wondering about, well, what happens to your myelin later on? Mm -hmm. So you still make some, but it's only basically enough to repair the myelin you already have. So with your grandmother, she was effectively not even having enough to repair that. Can you... Is there any way to... Can we buy myelin somewhere? Yeah, can you supplement? <laughs> yeah, can you supplement? Yeah, really, really. Um, <laughs> do any like memory no, exercises? If I, had, <laughs> if I... I don't think... If I knew the way, I would. And because um, uh, uh, I'm, you know, older. <laughs> but um, one thing, if you see how complicated it is for myelin to do its thing. Oh my God, it's so complicated mm. that you can just sort of accept the complexity of our brain, you know? Can you talk to us about like chemically, the neurochemicals in terms of what do we have at a very young age and do we lose some of those and, and how I know, um, in your book, both meet your happy chemicals and the science of positivity, just how you can put into practice things that can change your brain chemistry. Sure. I always look at this from an animal perspective because Mm. that helps us understand what's going on beneath the verbal explanations that we have for our motivations. So in the animal world, 
Don't think of pets because they are not having to meet their own needs. So think of an animal in the wild that is constantly Mm. having to like either going to find food or I'm going to die. I either find safety from predators or I'm going to die. They don't think consciously of dying because that's an abstraction, but their chemicals either are creating a good feeling when they see a way to get food or a bad feeling when they see evidence of a predator. So that's the sort of operating system. And if you think of like caveman days or your ancestors, it's exactly the same operating system that helped them to find ways to meet their needs and to find ways to avoid threats. Now, in today's world, we're doing the same thing, but it's all so stretched out and abstract because the good news is that our needs are already met. So we're not looking for today's food. So we're obsessing about meeting needs that we might have 10, 20, 50 years from now. Mm, Because that's already satisfied, right? Yes, because our brain is designed to keep looking for ways to meet these needs because it stimulates the the happy chemicals. Uh. So I can just explain them briefly. So dopamine is the good feeling that a reward is at hand. So if you imagine a lion closing in on a gazelle or a monkey climbing toward a mango, like every step triggers dopamine. Like the first step when you say, oh, there's something I can get. And then each time you see that you're getting closer and closer, you get more dopamine. And then when you finally get it, the dopamine is over. (laughs) And then in the animal world, you would just sort of sit and digest and relax. And then pretty soon you'd be hungry again and dopamine would give you a good feeling about starting the search all over. So that's the way it works. And that's why people have to really struggle to to, um, use this system in a healthy way rather than an unhealthy way, which I'm sure you could think of examples. Yeah. So it's like when you're not satiated and you always want more and it be obviously addiction and... Yes. But the idea of like not being satiated. So this is normal. There's nothing wrong with this. And in, mm. in the state of nature, you look for food, you digest it, and then you look for more food. There was no refrigerator. So the whole idea of, I'm not really a fan of these theories that sort of condemn people for having these impulses. Mm. It's just that it's a real struggle to manage them. I see. So impulses towards addiction, right? Uh, no, I mean, impulses toward wanting more. Uh, right, right. Okay. Mm. So whatever you have, I mean, whether you love your spouse and want to bring them flowers, but you can't constantly have that feeling of the first time you gave them flowers every minute of every day. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever it is that makes you feel good, it's you're not going to have that peak moment all the time. And if you chase it, then you will repeat behaviors that are not good for you. Mm. And then what happens after dopamine? So it's like, do you, is it, so if you catch the gazelle, then you get serotonin? Oh, good question. No. So dopamine, as I said, after you catch the gazelle, you digest it and then you look for another gazelle (laughs) or maybe you're thirsty, you look for water, maybe you're um, looking for a mating opportunity. So 
dopamine also rewards you for meeting your social needs. So your social needs are oxytocin and serotonin, and they're very different. Oxytocin is the feeling that in human terms, we would call belonging and acceptance. And in animal terms, we would say it's safety in numbers and running with the herd. So that's oxytocin and sort of got a a following now because it's called the cuddle hormone and it also is involved in sex. But in the animal world and in the human world, it creates trust. So trust If you think about it, when an animal is with its herd, it can lower its guard a little bit because instead of being hyper alert for predators, it has sort of help in protecting itself. And that's the good feeling that we look for. And that's the good feeling that we hope to get from others. And then if our hopes are unrealistic, they get disappointed, but we have to keep doing things to try to stimulate more oxytocin. This is kind of off topic, but I think you know the answer. So, and this is not related to anything that I am condoning. But so when people do MDMA, it's releasing serotonin, correct? And then you're unable to replenish serotonin in your body. And then are you, do you have an imbalance? And then are you depressed? Oh, good question. Okay. So all of this, your questions are built on what I call the medical model. Mm. So the medical model is as if you should have a certain level all the time, Mm. like how many red blood cells, how many white blood cells, like, oh, you don't have enough. That's not how it works. In the animal world, you have to do something to get your brain to release it. It's a communication. It's a, it's a, a, a communication device. And it's only released to create information that motivates you to respond in, to the outside world in a particular way. It's not meant to just flow when you're sitting on the couch and you say, oh, I don't have enough. Well, I should be able to get some in some other way and just sit on the couch and feel good all the time. No, that's not how our brain is designed to work. So this whole medical idea is not really doing people any favors, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> However, let's answer your serotonin question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Serotonin is the hardest of all of these to trigger, which is why in a world where basic needs are met, people are now obsessing over it. So in the animal world, you may or may not have heard that monkeys and all mammals are rather hierarchical, almost all, like, you know, huge vast majority, are very hierarchical. And when when a mammal is raising itself for a moment vis-a-vis the mammal next to it, it gets more food and more mating opportunity. And that the brain rewards it with serotonin. So you could call it the feeling of social importance or being special or having power. We have a lot of synonyms for this and Mm -hmm. we use good words for it when it's in ourselves and bad words for it when it's in someone we don't like. But it's all that same urge. Now, once you trigger your serotonin by feeling like your hot stuff, then it's metabolized in a few minutes. That's the deal with all of these. Whenever you trigger it, it's metabolized in a few minutes, and then you have to do more to get more. And that's how our brains evolve. That's how it's meant to be. Nothing is wrong, and and society can't fix it for you. Hmm. So how do you... If you're, you know, on a low one, I want to talk about highs and lows and Mm -hmm. 
why that's normal or why it's not normal. And then also how to, on your own, produce more of those chemicals. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Obviously, again, a huge topic, and that's what all my books are about. And there's lots of free resources on my website also, and videos, and however you like your information. First is to say that, yes, highs, ups, and downs are normal. So sometimes maybe people are having more downs because they have unrealistic expectations about the idea that they should be up all the time, that other people are up all the time, that it's necessary to be up all the time. And also to being up is a way to block out pain. And in the past, people sort of accepted pain. So there's not really the necessity to block out pain every minute. But if you think you have to, then that also drives some unwanted behaviors. Mm. But you asked, so what can a person do? So in in my resources, I have like some very brief trick or tool for each one. Would you like me to give that? Yeah, love that. Yes, please. Okay. And again, just to mention that these, it may sound simplistic and there's a long list of tools. And once you understand it, you can develop your own. So I'm just giving very simplistic ones. So dopamine is stimulated when you see yourself getting one step closer to that reward, whether it's a piece of fruit or a gazelle or the finish line in a marathon or the bread that you smell that you're baking in the oven and you can't wait to taste it. Or obviously, like if you get a text reply from a special someone. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) anything that gives you that feeling that I am one step closer to a reward. So we are better off structuring our lives with lots of small steps that we can absolutely succeed in than making ourselves nuts over some distant, faraway goal. And you may think, oh, I don't have time to work on my dream. But if you think of something you can do in the next five minutes to either step toward a reward or to step toward a feeling that you're safer from something you feel threatened by. You can do something in the next five minutes and then then you can do something in the next five minutes after that. So think of life that way. Mm. And that will not only stimulate your dopamine, but you'll start building pathways that expect to stimulate your dopamine. You'll say to yourself, oh yeah, I, I can feel good. I expect to approach rewards. I will meet my needs. And that will be a circuit. Mm. So it's the smaller steps that are releasing a little bit yeah, at a time. Creating yeah, okay. smaller doable steps. Right. But steps toward something that you sort of perceive as a reward, not just steps mm. that like you should. Like if you're spending your whole life on shoulds, oh, I should go to the gym more, you know. That's not what I'm about. You know, I'm about being real with your desires. You know, mm. so if you don't want to go to the gym, my thing is, well, make it fun. You know, put on comedy and exercise in front of the comedy. That's what I did. <laughs> so. You got to make it work. So if I was the person that had an addiction, I'm addicted to um, yogurt covered pretzels. And so what's going on with, with that? Like what, what is happening in my mind? Oh, I love that example. (laughs) Very good. So uh, there's some variation in each individual. So there's 
uh, there's a couple of ways to look at it. So one is that I said that whenever you trigger your happy chemicals, they're metabolized after a short time. And so what happens then? So I could call that a droop, right? But really nothing's wrong with you. It's just that you're not surging. So what do you do then? I like to call that neutral. Like you're in neutral, nothing's wrong. You're just waiting like a lion waiting for the next opportunity. But when you do that, then all these bad thoughts come into your mind. And how do you get rid of the bad thoughts? Well, reaching for a a yogurt-covered pretzel has worked for you before. Mm. And once that happens, that connects neurons. So when your fears and your anxieties are not tangible, but they're just in your mind, then distraction actually you know, frees you from them. It's like a gazelle that is imagining a lion. And then if the gazelle thinks of something else, then there's no lion, Mm. which that doesn't work in nature. So the yogurt covered pretzels are a distraction that makes the lion go away. And needless to say, the lion comes back and in the long run, it takes more and more yogurt covered pretzels because the brain habituates to whatever it has. So it always takes more no matter what it is. So it'll take Mm. more pretzels to stop me from thinking about the lion. Yes, Mm. exactly. And you may not be conscious that you're thinking about the Mm -hmm. lion. That's the amazing thing. And often people can trace this to their early experience that something bad happened to you and your way of dealing with it was distraction rather than... Dealing with it planning small steps to build your feeling of power. So what's happening chemically in my brain? So is it like looking forward to the pretzels is dopamine? Uh, Yes, looking forward, definitely looking forward to pretzels is dopamine. Um, But the person who, let's say it's an impulse, like they weren't, it's like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about them. And then I suddenly found half of the bag gone. Been there. (laughs) Um, so um the example for that would be um so let's say you're a baboon and you're being chased by a lion and you climb up a tree and the tree saves your life so the next time the baboon smells a lion it looks for a tree so let's say when you were young and some terrible thing happened to you and you felt awful and you went to your room and Maybe you ate yogurt-covered pretzels, another listener did this, another listener did that. Whatever you did in that moment of pain, that taught you, that was like the equivalent of looking for a tree, that taught your brain, this is safe. So basically, you're masking unhappy chemicals, which is cortisol, you're masking mm. cortisol with happy chemical. Yeah, I was just about to ask about yeah. cortisol. Like yeah. How does What's that affect? Related? Does that come off in the brain or is it like in another part of the body? I forget. Well, you're right is that it's stored and released in other parts of the body and circulated and affects every part of the body. But um, the trigger is the limbic system. So the limbic system is that core, like if you've seen a diagram of the brain and there's the big spongy stuff around it. And then the very central part, you've probably heard of the amygdala, the hippocampus, the hypothalamus. And those are like weirdly the same in animals. So Mm. animals make all these decisions, including social decisions, without the big cortex, just using 
that small core of limbic system, and that's what controls the chemicals. And really, it's controlling your interpretation of information about the world around you. And all it's basically saying is, this is good for me, or this is bad for me. I should go toward this, or I should go away from this. Hmm. Do, Do animals have memories like we do? I know it's not to the extent you know, the, the evolved extent, but it's like, do they, and if, if they don't, why? Yeah. Good question. Okay. So first, probably everybody can tell a story about, well, my dog is afraid of this because such and such happened to it once. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so they do have memory in that sense, but it's even more than us limited to early experience. And um, after that, you know, a huge amount of repetition, but it's mostly early experience and repetition. Now, when I say early experience, it's early emotional experience. So whatever triggered your happy chemicals or unhappy chemicals when you were young, that's what paved the neural pathways. Now, why is it for animals much younger? Because there's an exact correlation between the size of a creature's cortex and the length of its childhood. So the bigger your brain, the less wired it is when you're born and the more time you got to spend wiring it up. The smaller your brain, the more it comes pre-wired when you're born and you have sort of a little bit of memory space, but not, you know, less RAM. You know what I mean? Right. So, So like what has the biggest brain? Oh, good question. Well, I know there will be elephant fans in the audience. So <laughs> I have got a huge <laughs> elephant fan base. Yeah. Actual <laughs> elephants that listen. So there are different ways of defining it, but humans have the most cognitive capacity in the sense of, again, I'll get hate mail from the lion people and the dolphin people. But so there's a few things. So there's the size of your cortex, the size of your cortex as a percentage of your body weight, the size of your prefrontal cortex, and the size of the connections, the connectors between the different parts of your brain. And they're all relevant to your ability to abstract. So abstract means that instead of just worrying about the lion that's about to eat your baby, that you can build a fence so that no humans get their babies eaten by lions because they anticipate. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm like taking this in. I know. My own brain is like... Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have small brains. Most people have big brains. We have small brains. <laughs> What's about the pineal gland? That's interesting. So um, that's not something I'm very involved with because mm. I'm more focused on um, emotions. But I, isn't that the one that's sort of related to, well, it's growth and mm. it's also time. It's one that's more for processing time and therefore sleep modulation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. the melatonin. Yeah. 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 So this is the thing. It's, oh, it's mind blowing. So we haven't talked a lot about reproduction, mm. but Oh, it's so amazing. Like, I'm I'm just going to give you one example. So in most animals, they only want to have their babies at the time of year when there's enough food to nourish the mother's milk so that the babies don't die. Mm. 
So in order for the babies to be born at the right time, they have to be conceived at the right time. So a lot of these things are controlled by the, whether the days are getting longer or shorter. And then that has a cascading effect on other hormones because that affects the hormones of reproduction. Oh. But um, so that's how the system all got hooked up together and why it's relevant. But I don't think that that is operative in humans because it does vary widely from species to species. But some people may see connections. Does the amount of like neurochemicals or happy chemicals, is it more for um, like sexual stimulation or is it the same, like kind of across the board if something stimulates you? Mm-hmm. Good question. So I write about how love is a cocktail of neurochemicals. Mm. So it stimulates all of them. And that's why it feels so motivating, like so desperately motivating more than anything else, because nothing is more relevant to your survival than passing on your genes. Now, Mm. when I say passing on your genes, it's not just about sex, because in the state of nature, a huge percentage of the babies die. So anything that improves the survivability of your offspring, that's what's going to get naturally selected for. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in bigger species with bigger brains, um, more parental care is selected for. It's basically um, some species, it's a quantity versus quality strategy. So some species have lots and lots of babies and most of them die, but they invest very little in each one. And so their genes survive. Other species have very few babies and invest a lot in each one, keep most of them alive and their genes survive. So that we have that strategy and so we are not wired for the quantity strategy like um, a mouse can have, you know, a jillion babies and a lizard can have, you know, a billion jillion babies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want that many babies. (laughs) Yeah. How would someone break a habit? Like, what is your best strategy for breaking an addictive habit? Good question. Okay. Simple answer is that it's a circuit. The circuit will always be there. You want to build a new circuit. So it's always the solution is to build a new circuit rather than think you're going to get rid of the old one. Mm. So the new circuit is focus on what I want rather than what I don't want. So let's take a very simplistic example. A person smokes and what do I want? Okay. The next time I feel like a cigarette, I want to what? I make a plan. So let's say the plan is I'm going to get a carrot stick and then my mouth is busy, my hands are busy, and then I feel like, oh, well, that's not enough. So I'm going to put some delicious cinnamon oil on my nose, which is going to make me breathe. Like, oh my God, it smells so good that I'm breathing in the same way as if I were smoking and then I'm enjoying the carrot stick. So The first 45 days, if you commit to yourself to do that, then you're going to say, oh, yuck, this doesn't feel as good as smoking, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's still a plan. And if you stick to that plan for 45 days, then it will start to feel normal because your electricity will flow there. And then you will just think, well, yeah, I wouldn't mind a cigarette, but actually that's not who I am. Who I am is a person who stops and breathes and does something with my hands when I feel like a cigarette. 
45 mm-hmm. days, it's not, that's how long it takes to break a habit? Uh, yeah, but the way I think about it is you're going to do it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> why are we splitting hairs about the number of mm-hmm. days? You know what totally. I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but if you, let's say on day 28, you say, well, I'm just going to have a cigarette just this once. Mm-hmm. You can guess what happens from there, right? It's reactivating um, like those old neural pathways. Yes. And it's also, it's, it's your, your commitment. The idea that, oh, whenever I feel like it, I can have a break. Then you're going to end up feeling like it a lot. Mm. It's the sustaining it for 45 days also builds that commitment to say, I can do it. It will eventually get easier, but it will always take some effort. So I have to... I have to have some accountability to myself. Mm. Now, what do you, you know, in current times, you know, what's happening just in the world in general and how do you recommend people shift their perspective? I don't think, you know, you can be positive all the time. I do think, you know what I mean? I don't think that's possible, but are there ways in which in the moment, like seeing a school shooting on the news, you know, it's like, what is happening in your brain and how, what are the best practices to at least return a little bit closer back to neutral? Not saying that you need to release dopamine, you know, none of that, but it's just more back to neutral. Yes. Okay. This is a really big issue. So I'll, I'll, um, tell me when to stop. But, (laughs) um, so I don't watch the news and I don't think it's healthy for people. And I don't feel like I'm a bad citizen because I don't watch it. And I don't think that the people who are reporting the news have your best interests at heart. Mm, So (laughs) starting with that, I think it's better for a person to focus on things that you can do something about rather than things you can't do anything about. I also think the news puts things in the worst case scenario, in the worst possible perspective to make everything look as bad as possible because that sense of crisis is what keeps you going back to the news. So they never give you the context and always just make things look awful. Mm. So I read history books. Um, I also listen to a lot of books because um, listening to books while I'm driving makes me positive when I'm driving. Mm -hmm. Um, And I choose my books very, very carefully because a lot of authors are part of the hell in the handbasket mentality and just want you to see things in the worst possible light. And you have to really struggle to put things in context to see that things are good and you're living a good life and other people are living good life. And if you just take the worst possible moment in each person's life and shove that in everyone's face over and over, that there's nothing serving the greater good about that. That's just serving interests of people who are wanting your attention. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So what's happening on your brain though, when you see something? So we talked about happy chemicals. What are sad chemicals? Uh, Good question. So um, my focus is on cortisol and um, I know that people have questions about adrenaline and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about that later. So um, cortisol, think about putting your hand in a hot fire. So the pain causes your hand to pull out so fast that you didn't even have any 
time to think about what you were doing. And that's a huge surge of cortisol. So in the state of nature, cortisol is pain. And pain builds huge neural pathways that protect you from ever putting your hand in a hot fire again without having to think about it. Now, when you think about social pain, that's where we are because our world is pretty safe from physical pain most of the time now compared to in the past. So we have so much of our energy left to obsess over social pain. That's where a lot of people are. So social pain is disappointment. So disappointment triggers cortisol. And the way I explain this is, um, if you ever watch uh, nature videos where the lion is looking for a gazelle and like the show is almost over and the lion is almost starving to death and you're really feeling sorry for the lion. Yeah, so, I feel mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, so hunger is cortisol. So in mm. the state of nature, it was such an urgent thing, like you better find food fast or you're in trouble. You better find water. You better find firewood fast or you're in trouble. So that's what the chemical evolved to do is to motivate you. And then let's say you climbed over a mountain and there was no food on the other side, then that's more hunger. So that's like touching a hot fire. So disappointment is like, oh no, I better not do that again because we have a limited amount of energy. And if we waste our energy on paths that don't lead to rewards, that triggers our cortisol because that's your brain's way of saying, don't want to waste your energy there, better look for something else. So that's, that's the story of cortisol. Mm. Now, um, adrenaline, I think of it as like in a car, you have the gas pedal and the brakes. So cortisol is like the brakes that says, whoa, this is really bad for you. Adrenaline is like the gas pedal. And adrenaline could be either for good things or bad things, which is why you have people who love adrenaline and then you have people who hate adrenaline because adrenaline is your brain's way of just giving it more gas so that whether you're having a good or a bad experience, it intensifies it. Okay. How would you... How would you explain like when someone is experiencing a low and is almost like addicted to experiencing the low and like can't come out of it? Yes, I know exactly what you like mean. Like it's depression, um, but but maybe not. Like just is it because they're used to it? Used to it, kind of, and it's easier. Yeah. What's what's the deal? Why are we so depressed? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, um, first I'll show you want what do you want to hear first? The nice thing or the the controversial thing? We keep it real. You keep it real. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll start with the controversial thing. Okay. So we're all wired from early experience, and you know we myelinated our responses. Now, one part of it is called mirror neurons. Um, maybe you've heard about this before or not. So mirror neurons help us take in the um, experiences of others. This has been oversimplified to empathy, but it's not. It's basically imitation. So if your parents were suffering a lot when you were young, that was something that you were exposed to over and over you would have wired a circuit for suffering. So that's Mm. one example of how a person could get that circuit. Another example is that 
you got rewarded for suffering when you were young. Now, why would you get rewarded for suffering? Well, we could think of so many examples. So one would be, oh, you look so sad here, have a cookie. Or, you know, you look so sad, you don't have to go to school today. So even people with good intentions end up rewarding bad behavior. And a young person with that repeated experience is likely to get wired for that. Now, another way that this happens is um, that you could easily think of an example of like, I'm not important. I only care about you. Okay. So when a person is wiring themselves of like, my needs don't matter, only other people's needs matter, I, I don't count, I have to only focus on pleasing other people. This is a circuit that a child might build for any number of reasons. Some are negative, some are positive, but if a person looks at like the repeated experiences they might have had. But then over time, you know, a child brain says, if I please others, then others will do for me. But in the adult world, does that happen? No, it doesn't. So then the person ends up resentful, but they still feel like they have to do this I'm not important thing, only yeah. you're, you're important. So then they end up with the competing circuits of being bitter and resentful and then still not able to focus on themselves because they get a fear reaction when they focus on themselves. Why the fear reaction? Because when they were young, if they wanted for themselves, something awful would have happened. Mm. Again, you can think of all different scenarios where this can happen. Mm, and then they become punk emos. It's interesting. Like, I mean, you're describing someone close to me and it's like thinking back to their childhood, which I've done to kind of like try and understand it. It makes a lot of sense. It's like, but how do you now... Lindsay analyzes me a lot when I'm right here. Yeah, yeah it's really <laughs> awkward. I'm just kidding. It's really awkward. So yeah, how, but, do how do you now... How do you now almost like reparent in a way like or relearn? I know you said, you know, create new habits, but when they're so... It's almost like they're delusional, you know, like because yeah. it is their yeah. truth. And I know, you know, like... Yes, yes. Yes, it is their truth because your brain relies on the circuits it has and your electricity flows there effortlessly. And that is the perception of truth when your electricity flows effortlessly. Oh, that's true. So how do you rewire it? Okay, so let's start with um, small steps. And let's uh, think of that we could have a series of small steps and then let's make it tangible and let's focus on what we want rather than what we don't want. So let's take, um, and again, there's so many variations, but let's take the variation of the person who tells themselves, you can choose. Do you want the person who says, I don't count, I don't matter, you come first? Yeah, it's it, but they also have resentment, so they're like... Exactly. Yeah. Okay, because the other choice I was going to give you is the person who says, I count, I'm a superstar, but I keep failing at being a superstar. So that's a no. different loop. <laughs> um, so pick your loop, but okay, so we'll start with the I don't count loop. <laughs> okay, so when the person thinks that they want to count. That's why they're bitter and resentful. So they want to count and then they have a fear feeling 
when they think of, well, what if I just do something for me? So what is that fear feeling? It's the fear of whatever would have happened to you when you were young if you said, that's my cookie or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. How dare you take my cookie? That's mine. So one possible baby step is to say, I want to wire myself to relax while I'm having this fear reaction to the thought of saying, I want that cookie. So for example, I'm going to say to myself, that's my cookie. And then I'm going to get anxious. And then I'm going to watch 20 minutes of comedy to train my brain to say, I can relax. I can allow that feeling of I'm going to get eaten to death if I want something for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I could have that fear and then it'll go away in a few minutes. You know what I mean? To train yourself to artificially wire that in. Even if you don't believe it, you really believe that you're going to get eaten alive if you say, keep your hands off my cookie. You have to to want it, right? Yeah. Yeah, And you have to fake it a bit in the beginning. And you have to divide it into many small parts. So the first part is maybe the person's going to say, that's not me. I don't, I don't resent other people. I just love other people. And it's their fault for not loving me back, those asshole, idiot, goddamn, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> so they can't even accept that they're having resentment. <laughs> so that's the step one is to say, and if you can't stand having a minute of resentment, then say, okay, for five seconds, I'm going to, that's my first goal is for five seconds, I'm going to allow myself to notice my resentment. <laughs> mm, I love that. Okay. Be an observer of your... Mm-hmm. Thoughts. You couldn't fix Lindsay's person. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's face was so sad. <laughs> she was watching my face as I was listening. Because I'm like, it's very hard yes. because, you know, it's it's someone who's older. So it's like, it's very hard yes. to get through to that generation. And But yeah, I see what you're saying. I think it's also, you know, just almost like shocking, not shocking them, um, shaking them into awareness. Mm-hmm. And also but they're going to gonna hate you if you do that. And no. most people don't want to risk the relationship. Oh, I mean. Oh, yeah. So true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I don't really know about that. I if know. They, well, if they can surround themselves with people who reward their bad loop. And what happens oh, yeah. when oh, they... Oh, that's a good point. When everyone's Enablers. fed up with them, then they look for um, what's called, quote unquote, help. And then they find professionals who reinforce this belief system. And, mm. and I don't think that helps. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I want to talk about um, endorphins. Okay. And then GABA. Can you talk? Is it GABA? Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not that... Um, well, let's start with one at a time. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not a real GABA. <laughs> You're not, You're a, not GABA a GABA gal. gal. <laughs> <laughs> so... Endorphin evolved to mask pain. So when you see the video of the gazelle with its flesh torn open and the lion's teeth, like the lion is hanging out of its flesh, and yet the gazelle could still run because endorphin is released and endorphin is chemically the same as morphine, opioid, heroin. This is what 
masks pain mm. that allows an animal to save its life. Now, if an animal were on endorphin all the time, it wouldn't be able to function. So it's just for emergencies. So if you think of a caveman who falls in a hole and breaks his leg, but has to climb out in order to call for help. So endorphin masks pain for 15 minutes. After that, you need pain because pain is the information that you have an injury that needs protection. So if you've ever, this happened to me a lot, like you fall and people come over to you and say, are you okay? And you say yes, but then 15 minutes later, you realize that you're not okay. Right. So that's because endorphin was masking the pain. It's like when you work out, right? You get endorphins because it's pain. This is the thing. When you work out, endorphin is released if you work out to the point of pain. But endorphin did not evolve for us to inflict pain on ourselves. And you always have to work out to the point of pain to get it. And that means you have to go more and more and more. And so if you are chasing that endorphin high, which you may know people who do that, then they end up hurting their bodies. Mm. And so it's not something I advocate, um, but what I talk about in my books is um, tiny bursts of um, endorphin. Well, first, laughing is the best one. And then each time like you're sitting at your desk and you get up, you get a little bit. So you're better up getting, you're better off getting up often and stretching. And so working out is good, but not to chase endorphin, to expect a euphoria and think you have to always work out to the point of pain. I I just don't recommend that at all. Mm. Mm. So now GABA. Uh, uh, and oh, what did I? Oh, I just wanted to mention. Yeah, endorphin was the first one of these happy chemicals that was researched and understood, and that's why it gets people's attention mm. most. And often people use it as a synonym for all the others, and the difference is not discussed. And I'm the only person who discusses it in an animal context because most people are sort of in that medical mindset about it. That's why you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, GABA. So I tried it. And so I shouldn't be overly biased on my opinion, uh, on my personal experience. I felt that it made me sleepy. And let me explain what it does. So maybe you've I don't know if you've ever heard about how electricity flows through our neurons. So it's really, you have one neuron and then you have a space and then another neuron. So the only way that you can have electricity flowing in your brain, which is what a thought is, is electricity has to jump the space or synapse between one neuron and the next. So what does it take to fire, fire, you know, push, push, push? To, uh, to get that message to send. Well, so there's one chemical that sends the message and that turns on the electricity. And then GABA is the one that turns off the electricity. So mm. people thought, well, sounds like a good way to relax, you know? Instead of turning on, 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 this is like off, off, off. But that's not my definition of happiness, just to... To, like numb it to, to, and like yeah, yeah, like super, yeah. that's weird. 
Yeah. That's weird. So I could say maybe in an emergency or something, Mm. but yeah, it's, thank you. I I, I can't say it's weird, but I can agree with you. When there's a happiness (laughs) emergency, just too damn happy. Yeah. (laughs) Next time I'm too damn happy, I'll take it. No, I mean when there's a cortisol emergency. Totally. Totally. You know, when person is is stressed out, they think Freaking this is going to stop mm. that feeling, but it will also stop all their other feelings. Dang, that's okay. so crazy! And not just stop their feelings; it will stop their awareness and their processing, and it that which is effectively stopping their self. Wow! Mm. Is there anything that happens chemically when? someone feels more like themselves like has there been any studies Mm. done where like the brain is studied when like someone maybe who's you know in the closet or is not you know out with their sexuality and then comes out like is there something that you know what I mean Mm. I would assume they might be happier but I don't know like just being more than a good question yes okay so here's the thing the brain is constantly choosing between risk and reward So let's say you're a gazelle and you see some green pasture far away on a hill and you want to go toward it. But when you go toward that pasture, then you're isolated and a lion can eat you. So you're always choosing between, do I want to go toward rewards or do I want to avoid threat? And that's really hard decision. And the brain prioritizes avoiding threat because a lion can kill you in an instant, but not going toward greener pasture is not going to kill you. So that's why we are um, often being rather fearful. Now, a person who is feeling threatened about the judgment of others, they are perceiving like a world full of lions. And let's say if a gazelle smells a lot of lions and then... It's a gay, it's a a, gay gazelle. Yeah. Who has and then come if out. It, If it goes to a safer place and it doesn't smell lions anymore, that's Mm. good. But the problem is what's going to happen is it's maybe going to join a gay gazelle herd. And the (laughs) the gay gazelle herd is going to spend their whole time talking about the lions and reinforcing the belief that Uh. everybody else wants to eat them, which I think is not true and is not useful. Mm. And so coming out does not necessarily ease fears. Mm. So this is the amazing thing about oxytocin is that animals have a safe, trusting feeling when they have safety in numbers and join a herd. So everyone wants that feeling of acceptance and belonging. But in the animal world, Herds have lots of conflict within them. And every herd you can think of, including a gay herd, has lots of conflict (laughs) inside of it. As we all know from whatever herds we flow through in one moment of our day and another. Mm. And so what happens is you would really rather leave the herd and go toward greener pasture. Mm. But once you get too far away from the herd, then you start smelling lions and you panic and you go back. And so this is the dilemma of being human because we're herd animals, but we're not really herd animals. And in most of human history, we have lived in tribes and you were stuck with your tribe forever. You weren't looking for your place. 
You weren't trying to find your place. You were stuck with your place. You wished you could leave, but you believed that as soon as you left your village, you would be killed on the road. And for most of human history, that was a pretty realistic view. So that's why we humans have this new idea that we're going to leave and live on our own and create our own herds. And yet we're constantly feeling like, well, they're not exactly like me. I'm a little different from them. They don't understand me. And every single person has this feeling because we are, um, we are wired from individual experience. So nobody thinks exactly like me. And all we can do is try to build that mutual trust. But the way people tend to do it is by focusing on common enemies and it's too bad. Mm. Yeah, addicted to that like fear and that. That's kind of like where our brain goes. Yeah, yeah. And as like as you go through your day, like instead of being in a tribe, like every part of your day, you're feeling a different herd. So that's fortunate that we have that variety. But each of those herds builds its bonding by folk by talking all the time. You know, as you go through your day, notice this how the whole conversation is about the common enemy of whatever people you're bonding with at that moment. Mm, true. I love like breaking this down in this way because mm-hmm. in the moment I'd rather think about like animals and how they would react or like kind of their patterns. Do you know what I mean? To take it out of yeah. like the human, complicated human brain. So I love this and I love the work that you're doing. Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's really, really cool. Girl. Oh, okay. We got so much to think about. We got so much. I mean, this was like a download. I know it was. Of information. It was <laughs> truly. It's, it's amazing too that you're so passionate. You know, you've been doing this for, you know, quite some time and you're so knowledgeable, but you're so still so passionate about it. It's so cool how much you love what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have to say that I took early retirement from the academic world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing it by myself for myself and not having to please anybody. So I love that. Love that. That's so cool. And I'm not making any money, though. I guess I should say that um, honestly, so people don't have false illusions that I'm the best. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. But from your books, you do, right? Uh, not really. What because, is that? Um, Why don't books make a lot of money? Well, let's just say that the big books that you hear about make mm-hmm. like orders of magnitude more than the books, the amount of books I'm selling. Not until we share this podcast. <laughs> thank, thank you. Well, yeah, I hope people actually buy the book. Um, that's yeah. one thing. And I am giving a lot of it away for free because I think it's so important and useful. Yeah. So, so much money goes into the process of creating the book from mm-hmm. on the editor's side. So self-publishing is, then you get less attention, but I'm doing a little of that. But then those books don't get the distribution that a regular book gets. Uh. So other people have focused on monetization. So what I say is I'm, I'm doing like Mark Zuckerberg, right? He did not focus on monetization for the first 10 years. Mm. And by then I'll be so old. I, I really will not need <laughs> oh, the money. So <laughs> oh. Love well, you're it. young in spirit. That's for dang yeah. sure. Um, how can our listeners connect with you? Thanks. Um, InnerMammalInstitute.org. InnerMammalInstitute.org. 
great. Great. We're so excited to share this episode. Mm -hmm. We'll have your books linked in there and everything like that. And we just really appreciate your time and your energy and just sharing all this information because we, like you, believe that people need to know this. So we really appreciate you taking the time to kind of break it all down for us, um, get through some of our questions and some of our examples. Um, It means a lot. So really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, they were fabulous questions. I appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. Bye. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of that one? Hopefully empowered. I know. I was like thinking about like food. I'm like, oh, so how can I break like a food addiction? Mm. Understanding that. And I was like, oh, too much work. (laughs) Well, that's what it is. Like literally I'm like stopped in my tracks when I'm like, oh, that's a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) But now I think about it with my phone. Every time I reach for my phone, I'm like one dopamine. Just, I was just about to say that. Open up my Instagram. I'm like, two dopamines i was like in my bathroom with my fucking not even on the toilet just like trying to do trying to brush my teeth wash my face and like use a q-tip and it took me three times longer because i was like multitasking on my phone looking at feeds looking at email i was like what the fuck are you doing right can you wait three minutes who's in control here whoa who's in control here i know man There's actually a new daddy iPhone, a new app called Moment. Get it on the App Store and it it tracks how long you're on your phone in Uh, a day. I know it's real fucking, it's real fucked up. Whoa. And then it helps you like wean off of it. It gives you tips and then it like, I just, I need a boyfriend to get me off of. I'm serious. I'm, I am never on my phone when I'm with like someone I'm dating. Yeah. I don't even, uh, I'm never very rarely. Yeah, I agree. So (laughs) here's my desperate call. Except when we're looking up, uh, you know what we looked up today, Justin and I, have you heard of a Kraken? Please. Wait, what? If you've heard of a Kraken, I will freak out. A Kraken, have you heard of a Kraken? No. Release the Kraken. I've heard that, but I don't know. So what that Krakens means. are like mythological creatures that like are squids <laughs> that are the size of football fields <laughs> that, that take over pirate ships and like are in movies. And Justin was like, said something about a kraken, and I was like, so we had to look up what a kraken was. A football field. A football field. Come on, I'll show you what a kraken. So a kraken's a giant squid. It's mythological. It's kind of like Bigfoot. Release the kraken. Yeah. So then all day we're like, release the krakens. But I've never heard of a fucking kraken. But isn't it weird that it's called a kraken? Let me see. Yeah. All right. Well, that is that animated. Yeah. They, yeah. It's fake. It's mythological. But it's it's well. Why kraken? The giant. I want giant know. squids do exist. I've seen it on yes. Discovery Channel. But squids are. Fucking rat. Did you know that octopus have three brains? No. Yo, bye. I'm sorry. People think that like, I don't know. If you think stuff's interesting, the world is interesting. Below the or below the sea level is below the sea interesting. is interesting. Honestly, right above the surface is interesting. Mm-hmm. Those little dongles in front of them that are like flashlights. Oh yeah. A fish, the angler fish, I think is what they're yep. called. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just like... They yeah, dangle and it's, it's like bait. Huh? Yeah. Well, it's adaptation. It's like... Evolution. Evolution. I, mean, I don't even know what that is. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if evolution does that. Do you know what I mean? Well, who put it there? Aliens, honestly. Swear to God. Yeah, I think truly. that Sometimes I'm like, how did we come from monkeys and why are monkeys still here if we came from them? Mm. Isn't that kind of weird? 
I think there's there's an answer for that. Yeah, I'm sure people are going to email me the answer. But I think about that. I'm like, so why are they still here? The aliens will email you. Oh, yeah, yeah, they will. <laughs> They'll be like, thanks for supporting us. <laughs> See you in... Aliens 2020. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, uh, we went off there. We went off. As we do. As we do. Loretta, you're the bomb. Thank you, Thank so, you much so much for coming on. It was so, so good. I'm it just fine. like... Another tool in the box, man. See y'all on on tour. Can't wait to see ya. Um, We are on tour, meeting as many of you as possible. Uh, We are coming to your city, uh, New York, Boston. Uh, 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 What else? Uh, Austin, Dallas, Dallas, Seattle, LA, San Diego. We're Mm -hmm. adding cities as we go, just because we want to. Try to figure out Portland right now too. Portland. Yeah. And then international. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was... um, one of our amazing listeners emailed us a list from London that I need to take a look at. Yeah. So thanks for emailing that. But yeah, we're going to do London or Australia probably ne- next year, early next year. Yeah. For sure. Can't um, wait. Can't wait. Thanks for rating and reviewing. We've seen so many ratings and reviews lately and it means a lot. It keeps us going. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. I know it takes only a second, but it means a lot. It means everything. All right, guys. We love you and we will see you next. Bye.